This is TV Music Club, and I'm Will. We have Chris. Hello there. Nick. Hello. And Al. Hello there. What have you been listening to this week, Nick? This week, what have I been listening to? I've been listening to This Is The Kit. I have been listening to Matt Berninger's new record. Hold on, stop. Front Just from the moment. National. This Is The Kit. What? Eh? Never heard of it. What's that? Have you never heard of This Is The Kit? I've no. Heard of this They're a the Brist- Bristol band. Great favourites on Six Music, I think. See, I don't listen to Six um, Music. Get with the programme. Get with the programme, Al. Get with the programme. Sorry about that. Uh, <laughs> nice, gentle, folky, funky sounds. Folky, funky? A little bit jazzy. <laughs> jazzy? Folky, funky, so jazzy. any style they yeah. don't <laughs> So, yeah, um, this is the kit. Matt Berninger, um, the front man from The National, has a new album out, which is quite good, I have to say. He's recorded it with Booker T, uh, producing. and. Uh, it's a very enjoyable album. And uh, the other thing was, I've been listening to a bit of rap. Charlie Tuna and Crafty Cuts. It's been my jam this week. Chris, what have you been listening to? Yeah, nothing quite as contemporary as that. I came across the software slump on Wooden Piano, as it's charmingly titled, which is a re-recording of an old Granddaddy album. Um, which the original was a great album. He's re-recorded the whole... Well, I don't know if he's re-recorded the vocals, but anyway, he's redone the album, playing along on as it is wooden piano, which I suppose is a piano by any other name, as opposed to an electric piano. Um, and it's great. I mean, the original, uh, the software slump. It's a sort of, it's a, it's quite an electrical, bleepy kind of uh, synthy sampley album. Um, yeah, yeah, I know it. So it's quite nice just case. hearing it yeah. in its acoustic glory. So the uh, yeah, the songwriting comes to fore, and his voice is quite charming. It's a very, very unplugged kind of um, laid back gentle version of a great album and thoroughly enjoyed it one time um not that long after i moved to london whenever the software slump came out i had some friends who were moving house and i think i was helping them move into the new flat although i think i didn't i wasn't very much help but i was there anyway one of them had just purchased the software slump and we stuck it on while we were having a tea break and the first song, we're, we're all thinking, you know, the first time any of us have heard it, we're all thinking, you know, this is this is nice, we like the song. And, you know, it's kind of like episodic, the first song. I can't remember what it's called, something about he's stupid, he's the pilot. So I can't remember. After a while, this song's been on and we're like, you know, it, it does go on a bit. You know, it must have been like 10 minutes in and we're thinking, you know, is this song ever going to end? This is about the point that we realised that we'd stuck it on on track repeat and the same song was just playing over and over. But because it's kind of episodic, we didn't realise that it was ending and starting again. <laughs> Just assumed that um, it was very long. <laughs> Idiots. <clears throat> oh well. It was a good album though. I particularly like the Crystal Lake. That's a great song. Yeah, once you get past the first track, it's a good album. <laughs> if, if you get past the first track. <laughs> so, Chris, any, anything else you've been listening to? Or you... That's all. I kind of, um, I mean, six, six, that's just on to six music. Six music killed my uh, record collection for many, many years, or record, my new record buying habits for many, many years because. Six Music just played all the sort of stuff that I would go and listen to or buy anyway. So I just listened yeah. to radio for years and barely expanded my uh, CD as it was then collection at all. But I've started to break away from that now and I'm starting to listen to less Six Music and kind of trawling the likes of Spotify for, for, for newer stuff. Because it, I mean, it's as great as it is, you're still listening to someone else's selection, someone else's playlist. So it's quite nice to find your own stuff every now and again. But uh, yeah, Six Music is great, but it does kill your... Uh, Kill your thirst for new music, rather. So what have you been listening to, Al? I've been listening to The Cramps. Do you all like The Cramps? Yeah. Yes. Awesome band. Yeah. 
I don't. I haven't listened to the Cramps for a long time, actually. Neither did I. I think I've got. Like, I'm not intimate with the Cramps. I've got. I've got Gravest Hits, and I've got. Um, I can't even remember what the first album's called. I've got them both CD. I think that's all I have. But I've just been, you know, watching some stuff by them, live stuff. I think uh, I saw that they were on the tube one time, uh, closing the show. And I was watching that on YouTube, and it was really quite fantastic. I've also been watching, um, I've watched a few uh, concert films at the weekend, which were all quite interesting. The Cardigans playing in Shepherd's Bush in 1995, uh, touring First Band in the Moon, and it was very good. I love the Cardigans. I love the first, I love First Band in the Moon. It is one of my absolutely favourite albums. And I also watched um, Suede's Love and Poison film, which has had a sort of remaster and has been re-released on YouTube, and it's from Brixton Academy in 1993, and it's it's their first album. They pretty much play the first album and, and the B-sides of the singles, and I just, uh, I'm in awe of Bernard Butler's hair. But the most interesting one was uh, T-Rex playing at the Wembley Empire Pool in 1972. Are any of you T-Rex fans? Oh, yeah. Yeah, like the, like the singles. Yeah, I like the singles, I suppose, yeah. And I don't know I don't know any of their albums, and it was, it was Electric Warrior that they were touring at the time which is like their second album as t-rex but i mean it was their sixth album because they released four as tyrannosaurus rex and it was it just seemed if i'd been there i'd felt a bit short chains they only played 10 songs and it was really really short but they, they did do two gigs in the one day and this was a film of like a presumably the afternoon gig for the kids and then they played exactly the same kids in the evening and it's all just a bit like shambolic and rubbish to be quite honest Mark Boland died the same year as Elvis and I've, I can remember Mark Boland dying but I've got absolutely no recollection of Elvis dying which is weird because presumably and Elvis died in the, the same bigger, car crash. bigger prospects not quite the same car crash <laughs> but um, same year no, but the, the whole T-Rex thing was, it was I don't know I've always thought of them as being a bit of a I, I can't really describe a bit of a terrible pop band who have some good singles and this didn't do anything to change my mind it was all a bit shambolic and I don't know he came out and like he hit a couple of chords in his Les Paul and the guitar was so out of tune and yet you don't start a gig with your guitar I mean I know 1972 you didn't have handy pedals on the stage to tune your guitar with but yeah it all seems a bit wrong Apart from that, uh, I, I really enjoyed our uh, the playlist that we did uh, for our last podcast. I've been listening to that. It's very good. Good mix of stuff. Good choices there, guys. Hmm. Um, we'll be doing a playlist for every podcast of all the music that we talk about. I would recommend that you listen to it. What about yourself, Will? What have you been listening to? What have I been listening to? Well, I took a listen to a band called Porridge Radio. You heard of them? Mm. No. Yep. Another one that's big on six music. Ah, well, Never I can understand them. why they're big on six music. Anyway, their album, Every Bad, might be Mercury nominated or something like that. So the first track came on and I kind of went, ah, oh, no, it's somebody else who thinks nobody else has listened to The Cure or Robert Smith and is kind of nicking his vocal style. And I find it quite depressing. You have bands, new bands, plundering the archives of stuff and, and no one, including the DJs on Radio 6, apparently have any idea where this is stuff has come from anyway second track goes on and i'm starting to feel uh you know a bit sad i think the fourth third fourth track long i, re- I had to write it down deliciously naive beautifully soundscaped with delicate keyboards and integrated at times with soaring jingle jangling guitars bass and lump in the throat vocals it was really that good that's quite a clunky title isn't it <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> it'll have to come down in the yeah, it was just beautiful and brilliant and from that point on i got into them what a great album what are they called porridge radio and it porridge was the radio. name 
you know, I see a list of bands um, in the Mercury kind of li- um, website, and that name made me think, I've got to listen to them. They are fantastic. They really are. Wow. In sort of researching stuff for this week, I was listening to an old band that, that I know, the Prefects, a band um, from Birmingham. Then down that rabbit hole, I rediscovered Perubu. Have you heard of Perubu? Yeah, yeah, guys? yes. Of course, oh, yes. Just brilliant. Just brilliant. I'd completely forgotten how good they were. Yeah, that's about all I was listening to. I'm glad I found some new music, some actually real new new music <laughs> to listen to and to actually like a lot. It's nice when that happens, isn't it? Yeah. Sure, yeah, that's a nice spread, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. What are we drinking this week, guys? Well, I'm drinking some American IPA, which Al very kindly gave me. And recommended last week as well. Yes, you did. Uh, and once I finish that, I'm moving on to uh, a selection of Belgian beers, which my brother-in-law dropped off this afternoon. Who knows if we'll make it to the end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've just got a selection of beer, um, different types. I'm drinking a sort of lager and lime thing at the moment, key lime lager. Tiny Rebel key lime Ooh, lager. I'd like Tiny Rebel, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. This uh, lager and lime. Key li- Tiny Rebel is good. I don't believe it's made with key limes. I think they're lying about that. <laughs> the only thing I know about key lines. Any way of finding out? Um, well, I remember from watching the, the TV series Dexter about the serial killer who kills serial killers that um, they were always having key lime pie in that, and I'm sure that's where the the factoids came from. That um, in Florida, the key limes are only grown in Florida, and they don't grow enough of them to export them. So if you're if you're having key lime and you're not in Florida, it's not a key lime. Good to know. Yeah, it's very good to know, I know. Because uh, you, do, you do have a lot of issues with that, I believe. Should they not be, like, if you buy, if you buy, um, you can only, things like that have protected status, don't they? So black pudding, it only casts well, black I, pudding. I don't know if that's true away. in the US. Yeah. No, you can get black pudding from the Midlands. That's proper black pudding Well, you pudding can, but you can't, call it, you can't call it black pudding because it's now a protected, it's like a protected status of regional whatever it is. Actually, that's a European rule, so that'd just be blown out of the water in two months' time. But um, Plymouth Gin is is a good example since we're talking about booze. Uh, Plymouth Gin can only be called Plymouth Gin if it's made in Plymouth. Well, you wouldn't call it Plymouth Gin if it wasn't, would you? Really? Well, you can make London Gin anywhere, but Plymouth Gin is a type of gin. It's not like it's not just a description of where it came from. It's ah. a type of gin. God, do you guys know nothing about gin? But the makeup of the gin, the make the the makeup of the gin is just determined by what all the 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 the, the uh, Aromatics that you put in it, isn't it? The actual base exactly. is just your base is just vodka, and then chuck in whatever aromatics you like and make your own bespoke gin. Are you so sure that's true? Plymouth yes, gin? I am sure. So it's Plymouth basically gin. vodka. Yeah, it's just a white. It's a white alcohol with um, aromatics. Oh, see, it's not actually vodka turned into gin. Well, it is. If you want to make your oh. own gin, buy a bottle of vodka and chuck in some juniper berries and some rosemary. And yeah. I mean, if, if you're, you're Gordon's gin isn't made out of vodka. It's, oh, it is vodka with a bit of lemon <laughs> and a bit of <laughs> a couple of peppercorns. I, I, I'm never going to drink gin again or vodka <laughs> for that matter. Anyway, I'd imagine there are recipes for the aromatics that you use in the juniper and whatever. Uh, and, and Plymouth Gin has its own recipe, but you can't call it Plymouth Gin if, you, if it hasn't been made in Plymouth. It's got protected status. Oh, okay. That's the only point I was trying to make. <laughs> I'm not sure I've ever drunk Plymouth gin. I don't think I have. Does it taste any different from other gins? I have. Apparently, it's sweeter than uh, than London gin. Oh, I find it harsher. Ooh. like a smack Ooh. in the face kind of gin. 
which you'd expect from from Plymouth. From Plymouth, that's, yeah, that's, that's what I'd have expected. Yeah. yeah, something a bit more naval. But yes, I've had Plymouth gin, but I did buy it in Sainsbury's. So whether it was that <laughs> actually authentic, who knows? It must have been that they couldn't call it Plymouth gin. We've just well, been absolutely. talking about this, Will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But what I've been drinking is yet more ginger cordial. Um, oh, lovely. And this is Belvoir, Belvoir Fruit Farms ginger cordial. It's nice. I like it. Um, although there's a problem with soda water at the moment. There's a, a soda water shortage. So I might have oh, to start really? drinking it neat. Oh, Buy a soda stream. Oh. That's what we do. That's what we do. Get busy yeah. with the fizzy. Yeah. All right. But we have done our um, our, our uh, bi-weekly dose of product placement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is always a good thing. Sorry, which ginger cordial was that you were drinking there, Will? Uh, Belvoir. B-E-L-V-O-I-R. Sounds lovely. And Stornaway Black Pudding. Stornaway Black Pudding. It is good yeah. Belvoir, actually. <laughs> so so Stornaway Black Pudding. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. Absolutely. Since you're asking, I'm drinking a bottle of... Uh, a bottle. I'm drinking a glass of Argentine Malbec in memory of uh, Diego Maradona. God rest his feet or his hands. Diego Maradona died on your birthday, Nick. That's, um, that's he did. And do you know who else died on my birthday but 15 years ago? Who was that? George Best. Wow. Ooh. Freddie died Mercury died on my same birthday. Same day, 25th Bad. November. Freddie Mercury died on my birthday. My twenty-first birthday as well. What this this year or a twenty-first, right? Yes, this year. <laughs> no, no, no one's ever died on my birthday. I'm, I'm quite sure somebody's died on my birthday, but I'm unaware. Chris is going to do 1974 in music for us. I am, yeah. Um, this is the first time we've done this, so I wasn't quite sure of the level of detail we wanted to go into. So I'm going to go for a kind of broad brush, fast-paced whiz through the, the, the year. Yeah. First of um, January. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a bit of that. There is a bit of that. 12 midnight, thought, um, first of January. <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I mean, I know it's about the music, but I just thought it's, it, it's worth just having a little look at the year itself. 1974 is the, uh, the year that we're looking at this year. And... Actually, that makes 2020 look like a bit of a walk in the park, to be honest. We started the year in the first post-war recession. Uh, there was an oil embargo going on. The miners were on strike and Britain went into a three-day week because um, there just wasn't enough energy to keep the lights on and keep everyone at work. I've lost track of the number of IRA bombs that exploded across mainland Britain in '74, killing countless people. There were two general elections, uh, February and October. First one was a hung parliament, first hung parliament for, God knows, can't remember how far back that was. Labour scraped in minority and then won by a whisker in October. The National Front was on the rise, race riots across London. In America, Nixon resigned in the wake of Watergate. And then towards the end of the year, Lord Lucan did a runner after his kid's nanny was found murdered. So it was a pretty grim year. On the plus side, Bagpuss oh, had its first episode on I telly. Love Bagpuss. And uh, Bagpuss is a wonderful thing. It was thing, absolutely it? magical. I mean, it, it um, moves me to tears, pretty much, Bagpuss. It's it still so is. beautiful, yeah. It still, it still stands up all, to time. All it's of just, all, all it's, of Postgate stuff. There's something so calm and peaceful, but also so 
wildly creative about yeah. it, and it's, yeah. it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. I think I preferred um, the Clangers. Yeah, quite similar, weren't they? Same era. I think Clangers that is maybe a little bit later, so obviously we a bit more aware stuff. of it. But uh, I love the Clangers, still do. Yeah. Uh, all I say, all of all of the postgate stuff is it, just it's just wonderful. Um, you don't know how hard um, it is not to do a Clangers impersonation, but I'm stopping myself. Hold man, yourself, man. Hold yeah. yourself. In other good news, Camera published its first good beer guide in 1974. So, drink to that. Cheers. Um, I'll drink two beer, but I'll just drink beer. And and it was um, yeah. So so th- that's the kind of context of this year, which was quite a grim one. Um, so then musically, um, ah, a random scattering of things that happened. Bob Dylan and the band kicked off their 40 date concert in Chicago Stadium. Dylan's first time on the road since 66. I suppose that was quite a big deal. At the Grammy Awards, uh, Stevie Wonder's Inner Visions won Album of the Year. Roberta Flack's version of Killing Me Softly was Record of the Year and Song of the Year. Cher divorced Sonny Bono. Finally. End of a... End of a... <laughs> yes. Hang on. Did, didn't, can we go back to Cher? Um, didn't played, didn't played, she um, divorce Sonny Bono, marry Greg Allman and divorce Greg Allman all that year then? It all happened over the course of just a few but, days or something, yeah. It's mental. Well done, Cher. Anyway, so the Ramones' first gig, and then later later this year they played CBGB's. The Eurovision Song Contest was in Brighton was it in 74. Really? Anyone know the winner? Uh, I presume it was ABBA. Waterloo. One of the big ones. It was, it was ABBA. It was ABBA with Waterloo. And this was very much ABBA's grand entrance onto the world stage. Obviously, they never looked back after, after this point. But um, before then, no one really knew ABBA. Quite a good song to hit the, hit the world with well, Waterloo. Right. It's a great song, yeah. Nebworth, first Nebworth concert. In 74, uh, the Allman Brothers were headlining, Doobie Brothers, Sensational Alex Harvey Band, Van Morrison, Tim Buckley. Cher. Mama Cass died. Oh, really? Oh. Uh, she played two gigs at the London Palladium, went back to her hotel in Mayfair and started, had a massive heart attack and died. She's only 32. Jeez, oh. Other people were lost in 74, Duke Ellington and Nick Drake. Right, at the end of the year, November, saw John Lennon join Elton John on stage in Madison Square Gardens. And this was the last time Lennon would perform on stage. Wow. And New Year's Eve, Lindsay Buckingham and Stephen X joined Fleetwood Mac. So those were some of the things that were happening this year. Just looking at some of the... I know we're going to talk a bit later about some of the, the, the kind of singles and albums, but just a quick whiz through. It was a good year for Christmas songs, 74. The year started with Merry Christmas, Everyone by Slade at number one. Everybody. Merry Christmas, and the year everybody. Oh, Merry Christmas, sorry. everyone. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that definitely wasn't 1974. And the year ended with Lonely This Christmas by Mud at number one, of which more Mud later. Actually, it was a good year for Mud. They were uh, four weeks at number one with Tiger Feet. Other great singles, ABBA, Waterloo, obviously we mentioned that. Kung Fu Fighting, one of the biggest tunes of the year. In fact, that was kind of global hit of the year. Albums, there were a lot of a lot of best ofs dominating the, the, the albums that year. Yeah, John. Um, the, well, mm-hmm. will you John leave well. it? Will you just leave it out? <laughs> Sorry, Elton John did well, but the big, the biggest album of '74 was actually the Carpenters, uh, the single '69 to '73. It was number one for four weeks in February, knocked off for a week by Slade, and then back at number one for oh, eleven weeks, and then knocked off by Rick Wakeman, back for number one for a week in June, knocked off by David Bowie's Diamond Dogs, back again at number one for a week. And then Elton John, Paul McCartney, a wing stepped in. Band of the Run had a good run, seven weeks at number one. Mike Oldfield comes in with the god awful tubular bells. <laughs> and then um, 
<laughs> you heard. There's a the Bay City Rollers, Bay City Rollers, and, and Rod Stewart hold up the back end of the year before Elton John's greatest hits kicks in. But the the Carpenters number one for seventeen weeks. Their album. How many was. times did they go to number one? They came one, two, three, four, four. They had four different runs at number one. That's quite um, cool. Quite impressive, and um, it's a great album. That's that's one of those. It, it had it, I don't know if you did. the Carpenters is one of those few albums that my pe- mum and dad had when I was growing up, along with um, the Jazz Singer by Neil Diamond, and mm. uh, uh, I think it was the best of Simon and Garfunkel. But I remember the sleeve clearly. It was a kind of brown leatherette sleeve with just the Carpenters in gold wording across the front. And yeah. a great, great album. Would have would have were it not for the fact that it was released in seventy three, I would have probably had it as my favorite album of seventy four. But it was. Uh, Released the year before, so have to discount that. But yeah, great year for the Carpenters. One last thing to add: it was the first year that the NME did its um, best of the year list, and the, and NME had uh, Steely Dan, Pretzel Logic as the best album of seventies. Another seventies band I really can't stand, um, and for no real reason. Steely Dan. Steely Dan. Yeah, I kind of mm. made them. Something about them just find quite irritating. Hi. So that's seventy-four in a nutshell. Right, so Will, um, do you want to introduce the album we've all been listening to this week? This album is Blue Jeans and Moonbeams by Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. I heard of listening to Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band late 70s, early 80s. And I've been doing a sort of dive into how it was that I came to even know about this, this kind of person. And... All roads lead to John Peel. John Peel championed Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band over here, even driving Captain Beefheart and one of the guitarists around in a hired mini to get to the gigs. The more I've kind of thought about it, the more I've read about it, you kind of Peel seems to have been the epicenter of the, the Captain Beefheart thing of that time. And it's clear that many punk and post-punk bands actually picked up on that and and brought it into their their music example would be birmingham band the prefects who later became the nightingales what peel thought of blue jeans and moonbeams kind of we'll never know i got a book the autobiography of captain beefheart written by somebody called mike barnes can i just say that's not an autobiography if it wasn't written by captain beefheart that's a biography good point absolutely right i've put in the auto i automatically put in the auto so, okay, it's, uh, it's a book <laughs> by Mike Barnes that is the biography of Captain Beefheart um, that takes, takes the story from early days. Uh, in fact, when uh, Don, um, as his name was then, um, was three years Veet. old and took, took his story from the age of three. Interesting book. And it kind of tells about how Beefheart was kind of part managed by the Di Martino brothers and this album, um, Blue Jeans and Moonbeams, was produced by Andy DiMartino, who also produced the previous album, Unconditionally Guaranteed. Barnes, in his book, suggests that DiMartino or the DiMartinos were trying to gently pull Captain Beefheart into a more mainstream kind of musical and hopefully more commercial bandwidth, which is kind of ironic because this album, although it has nominally more commercial music and more commercial sound was the worst selling album that Captain Beefheart ever made. The band wasn't the magic band. The band was a bunch of session musicians 
you can listen to the album knowing that that wasn't the magic band playing you can you can understand why it sounds like it does not the greatest of commercial successes from Beefheart the sadness is it led him to quit the music business for several years and he only really got back into it the legend is he called Frank Zappa a childhood friend of uh, Beefheart and asked for a job and Zappa said yeah come on let's do it let's go on a tour and so they toured and they made an, an album from that bongo sessions um i think it was called Beefheart made an album with Zappa and that kind of got him back into it. And then we're talking about the latter half of his career. Well, he released an album, Shiny Beast, Bat Chain Puller, that kind of resurrected his reputation and also resurrected his career from that point. And again, there's a Zappa influence here. Zappa paid for the studio sessions. Zappa got mad. He stole the tapes. Well, he didn't steal the tapes. The tapes were his. He wouldn't hand them over. So uh, Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band re-recorded um, the album and the original um, recording that Zappa held was finally put out in 2012, two years after the death of, of Captain Beefheart. His last album was an album called Ice Cream for Crow and I vividly remember that coming out and vividly remember being incredibly excited by the, the power of that music um, and especially the title track, Ice Cream for Crow. So yeah, that's the story of of the album initial impressions of it guys for that will you you said you actually saw captain beefheart live uh like there'd have been like 82 83 then yeah if it was ice cream for crow yeah 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 where where was yeah. that um that was in birmingham at the odeon new street which was actually a cinema but they put it over to to gig nights as well a good venue i'd seen the jam there a couple of times it was quite a large auditorium and we kind of walked in and it was only three quarters full and I thought this is going to be a bit of a sort of low key event. And the ushers were around saying, everyone keeping the seats, you're not allowed to stand up. And you know, the first note that they played, just about everyone else just got up and rushed down the front. Um, and nobody <laughs> could stop them. The ushers just said, okay, whatever. And it turned into quite a magical night, a fantastic performance, mesmerizing, I'd say. Was he doing stuff from his whole career or just Ice Cream for Crow? Because Ice Cream for Crow was kind of spoken word poetry over. Noodlings, wasn't it? Yeah. From my understanding. Yeah. Yeah. It was mainly the, the new stuff like Dock at the Radar Station, um, Ice Cream for Crow, Shiny Beast. So not much from the uh, early times. There's a fantastic musicality about it, fantastic rhythm section, fantastic sort of vibe about it. The later recordings had real power. Um, and so I, was, I felt quite honoured to have been able to see him um, play that music. I got off to quite a good start with this album, I think. I didn't really know what to expect other than I had the T-shirt. <laughs> I didn't know any of the music. <laughs> um, any album that starts with the line, the cowboy wore a nighty, is camel. going in a good direction. The camel, camel wore a nighty. The cow- yeah. Camel? I thought it was cowboy. Well, even better, the camel wore a nighty. Actually, I prefer cowboy. <laughs> well, I think cowboy was, was better. Anyway, part of special <laughs> things to do. It's just got a groove, great tune. Same old blues, similarly, really good groove. Observatory Crest was the first one that I recognised. I don't know why I recognised it. And I, I, I know um, Mercury Rev did a cover version of it, so I ah. think it might be from that that I knew it. And I think those first three tracks, they're really, it's almost like three different bands. I mean, Beefheart's voice is completely different in each of the three tracks. Very, very different groove to them all. The Same old blues is a real classic, groovy, bluesy rock tune. That's actually a J.J. Kale song. Yeah, oh, is it? And actually, it came off a J.J. Kale album that came out that year. Ah, so it was from the gotcha. album OK, 
which I, is a is a, um, a favourite album of mine. So I dug that and Observatory Crest. I like it's just it's it's a very vulnerable song. It just sounds there's something about it. It's got a kind of kind of lost feel to it and feels I don't know where Observatory Crest is, but it feels like a sort of we talked about Mulholland Drive earlier, but it's that sort of that weird bit of LA. It feels like that kind of slightly lost slightly kind of you know out there on a limb bit of it and just it's, it doesn't really go anywhere it's a bit of a meandering song there's no obvious chorus there's no really obvious structure to it but it just it just takes you to a place and a moment it's quite cinematic that that feels yeah very 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 cinematic very good and then kind of the rest of the album played on and i kind of and then it ended and i kind of the rest of the tracks didn't really hit home in the way that the first three had done and I, and I thought, oh, well, that's just because it takes a little while to get used to or to, to hear it and get into it more. So I played it a few more times and I've listened to it lots of times as I do with these things. The first three tracks, I think, are great. And then it, I don't, I think it just, it's almost like it runs out of ideas. It just drifts a bit from that point in and you'll get songs that start and the lyrics kick off and it starts quite strong. And then it just disappears into kind of fairly bland instrumental stuff and it never really hits home the way those first three did and i i then kind of i did i I tried to listen to it lots of times without doing any research into the album and then started looking at it and obviously it's held up to be the worst captain beefheart album even beefheart itself thought it was awful this album, the one before he said worst thing we've done and he urged fans to take them take the albums back to the record shop and get a refund for them so then i looked a bit further and trout mask replica it's held to be his greatest moment. So I thought, I'm going to have a listen to that. And that's a difficult album. <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. Yeah. It's a challenge one. And I can see why probably after lots of listens, it will kind of reveal itself and probably become a more interesting album than this current one. But I didn't really have the time or the inclination to give it that amount because it's it's kind of free verse and free jazz. And together it was just all over the shop. All I knew about Captain Beefheart before Will chose this album was Trout Mask Replica, and mm. I had presumably read about it or heard about it in music magazines, so I'd picked up a vinyl copy in a second-hand record store in Glasgow years ago, and presumably taken it home and listened to it and gone, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, uh, and found it, I think, just too challenging, and shoved it into the record collection and really ignored it, but I do have a recollection of a night in in my flat I used to share a flat with my brother it was a couple of pals of his where everybody piled back to the flat after a night in the pub and one of those nights where it's all back to mine and play some records and a friend of my brother's great nights was going through the record collection and he, he was a or is a, a DJ and he had obviously made some sort of judgment call on my record collection based on the fact that I owned Trout Mask Replica and made some comment about how I obviously had some good taste and I had to fess up that actually I just happened to buy it but I didn't actually like it. (laughs) I can see it being one of those albums that people would walk around and wear as a badge of honour but not ever listen to because Mm. it's it's, it's unlistenable. It's very difficult. I think that uh, the real badge of honour with Captain Beefheart is that actually I like Trout Mask Replica, but like the next album's better. I think that's your badge of honour, you know? <laughs> ah. <laughs> His first album, the one before Trout Mask Replica, I don't, I can't remember what it's called. Um, but that's, I listened to that as well. I thought I'd just dig, dig a bit deeper and see what there is. And that's a kind of, it's not traditional in any way, but it's more of a sort of bluesy rock album, a more traditionally structured you know it's got songs it's got verses choruses and a bit of 
music that actually melds with the lyrics and stuff. And that's it's a good album. I thought that was quite quite a good groove. Trapmas Replica just again, I need to listen to it a dozen times rather than once whilst mowing the lawn. I was reading a little bit about Trapmas Replica and the whole idea that they were, they were all tucked away in a house, you know, kind of big pink style with Frank Zappa producing. Uh, but but Captain uh-huh. Beefheart was basically practicing psychological warfare on the rest of his band to get them in the right zone to play on this album, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and it just sounded terrific. And you think, well, no wonder then that the band eventually quit. Although my understanding, they quit before this album. But my understanding is they quit because he was he decided to go more mainstream, and it wasn't because he beat the drummer and all this kind. Of, no, 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 it's when he stopped doing that. <laughs> they, uh-huh. they quit. Dick, do you have any actual thoughts on on uh, Blue Jeans and Moonbeams, though? We seem to have started talking about a different album. Me? Yes, I know. So, <laughs> Well, all of us, actually. <laughs> yeah, we know. We've been talking about the rest of his career. Um, and so, Anything but Blue Jeans and Moonbeams. My, my point was that that was my entrance. So I, I when Will picked this album, I thought, oh, God, here we go. And then I listened to it and went, oh, actually... <laughs> This is all right. This is not what I, not remotely what I expected. That's just reminding me that I forgot to do my prediction of what I thought you'd all think about this album. <laughs> um, oh, go on then. So, I, and I thought that uh, again uh, that Nick would probably like this more than the rest of us. You can never tell with Chris. I, I didn't think you'd like this one, Chris, and I thought that Will would probably like it, but with some pretty severe reservations. I thought I'd probably hate it before I'd listen to it, but um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, Will. Uh, not even well. Sorry, Nick. Carry on. Carry on. Oh, so, no, I and and so I, I liked it. I wouldn't go mad about it. And I think Chris mentioned that he ran out of ideas. I have a fairly clear idea about where where on this album he ran out of ideas. It was I. I quite liked the first song. It just it really reminded me of Doctor John. Mm. Uh, There's a lot of Doctor John on this album. And then the second song I knew it was the JJ Kale song, and I really liked that. You got the Observatory Crest, which is an okay song, and then he does a little bit more Doctor John, and then he just that's when that's when he checks out uh-huh. and uh-huh. Captain's Holiday. It's it goes Awful. it goes very awry, doesn't it? And it's, I didn't um, like Rock and Roll's Evil Doll. Actually, that was the one moment where it kind of I kind of sort of got a little bit more interested in Rock and Roll's Evil Doll briefly but then it just loses it halfway it sort through of, again it just kind of drifted a bit after that and and you had Twist of Luck was a bit stonesy and then the last one I thought was a bit Is I awful. thought that was Neil Diamond and me, I've actually I've written, written Neil Diamond twice on my notes yeah uh. <laughs> it's not just me then it's yeah, got the definitely. weirdest the weirdest kind of Keyboard noodlings on that last one as well. Oh, it's awful. just, it's just really poor. First listen, I'm pretty much the same as Chris and Nick. Party of special things to do. I'd, I'd actually heard it before. I was really surprised to learn. Um, White stripes. No, I, Captain Beefheart. I'd, I'd heard, I'd heard exactly that recording before, uh, okay. and I was quite surprised at that. You know, it, it's the most Captain Beefheart song on the album. It's the only one that really does sound anything like. The earlier stuff that I've heard by Captain Beefheart, which made the rest of the album quite a surprise. Same old blues, lovely, soulful, bluesy. It's a top tune, Observatory Crest, lovely. Well, that's the first one I said sounds like Neil Diamond because it really does sound like Neil Diamond. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 
nothing wrong with that. You know, I think Neil Diamond's actually pretty good. So, yeah. Pompadour yeah, Swamp, absolutely. though, was the first time I thought, it's a bit of a weak one. And, <laughs> you know, it's starting to go downhill from there. Captain's Holiday. My my note on this is I like this, even though it's obviously rubbish. But um, I think I like <laughs> the drums in it. The, the drums sound amazing. Uh, and are really well played. And that's the thing, the band, we'll come back to this, I'm sure, but the band, you know, they're obviously pretty solid musicians and all. There's nothing wrong with the playing. But, yeah, they're not, it's, you know, it's not the magic band that you're expecting to hear. Um, I liked Rock and Roll Evil Doll. It's got that sort of Stevie Wonder vibe going on. Uh, you know, that was a good one. Further Than We Gone is the only one that's not been mentioned. Neil Diamond again. What I wrote against uh, Further Than We Gone, um, I, I wrote Flaming Lips. Then I scored that out and put Mercury Rev. And I didn't know at this point that Mercury Rev had done a cover of Observatory Crest, which also sounds like Mercury Rev. And um, and so does Blue Jeans and Moonbeams. Isn't that weird that I should make that connection without knowing that the connection was actually there? But, uh, but it really does. Um, and yeah, Twist of Luck, it's good. Blue Jeans and Moonbeams, it's all right. You know, the, there's, there's nothing terrible on this album. And on first listen, I was expecting something really challenging, as I'm sure we all were. And I got something that was actually really quite un- the most challenging thing about it is how unchallenging it was. It's not particularly interesting, but it's it's perfectly listenable, I suppose. Yeah. Well, what was your opinion on that first listen? Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I kind of put an X and a cross. Sorry, cross and a tick where that I thought what could have been a, a beef art magic band song. So, party of special things to do. I quite like that. Same old blues, although not a Heart song was and strangely enough I went to listen to the JJ Kale version and I thought it would have been great to have uh, Beefheart's vocals on JJ Kale's version with JJ Kale's guitars because that sounds more like the magic band than this album does interesting ob- observator crest he's actually singing he is actually singing at that point and it's he hasn't got a bad voice but it was just kind of weird to hear it I suppose and then we kind of go on and on. Um, Captain's Holiday. And it's, it's quite funny. Um, Mike Barnes, his biographer, not his autobiographer, but his biographer, described it as a risible, risible. And I kind of thought, that's a great, and it's obviously an insult, but I, I didn't even know what risible meant. But um, oh, I love the word risible. Yeah. Laughable. Yeah, laughable. I uh, know, it's in my vocabulary from now on. Did I read on Wikipedia that Captain Solidy doesn't actually have the captain on it? Even the harmonica is played by someone else. It is. Um, it's bizarre. I kind of wrote down here that Pompadour Swamp, it's like the band weren't expecting um, Don Violette to walk into the room. It was that far away from being a magic band. And um, then on the next track, I wrote down, and it's clear, and it, it's actually a fact, he, he wasn't in the room for this one either. Rock and Roll's Evil Doll could have been a Beefheart track, but you know what? It sounds like to me that Beefheart kind of knew he was in a jam, knew he was in a space that he didn't want to be, and it's starting to be a bit like that. I think he's trying to be game. I think he's trying to play the game. I think he's trying to do what Martino asked him to do as a producer, um, but you could tell he just wasn't into it in fact there's there's a bit in in the book where i've forgotten which which who it was but one of the guitarists said that he had you know got beefheart couldn't come in at the right times he, he couldn't get the rhythm of the songs and uh, so this guitarist said i had to sit with beefheart and put my hand on his shoulder and push him towards the mic when it was his part to do and then pull him gently back from the mic when he was to stop and and that sounds awful doesn't it I wish someone would do that to me when I sing. 
<laughs> he can manage a song that's in like nine four time, but he can't manage something in four four. That's admirable. Yeah, yeah. and that, that, that's that's something that's been said about Beefheart that he doesn't know anything about music. He's got no rhythm. Uh, blah 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 blah. And it's God. I wish I had some of those defects. There's a there's a sadness here, and um, it pushed Beefheart out of the business. But only for uh, I mean his 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 his. Discography he was he had another album out kind of three years later you know it wasn't like he was yeah, out no. for ten well, fifteen years like yeah that's an eternity in the seventies or three years he had about another five albums out after this 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 feels like a midpoint low of his career after which he then kind of slowly did a few more interesting things culminating in I mean Pill Pill thought that um, Ice Cream for Crow John Peel held it as his masterpiece so he kind of came good at the end do we think in the whole kind of uh, run of his career that Captain Beefheart was any good? Because that's, that's, that, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't think Beefheart was that good. I think he was he was doing something quite left field that was quite interesting. But was it any good? Has he got any great legacy? Has he, has he changed the direction of music or inspired? I know there's a few bands that have covered him. The White Stripes have done a couple of covers. Obviously, we mentioned Mercury Rev earlier. John Peel loved him, but beyond that, I don't think Beefheart really had that had any great impact. I mean, he wasn't commercially successful. He wasn't even particularly critically liked. Trout Mask Replica now has a very strong reputation, and and I think it's seen as mm. as an extremely influential album. Although I don't know whether it actually is, but it certainly has a reputation of being. Is that due to Zappa as much as Beefheart? Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe. I think he rides on Zappa's tailcoat quite considerably. I, I think, that having read Barnes' book, um, you know, there had been long periods of time where Beefheart was in it on his own and Zappa was doing his own thing and they didn't really have any interaction. It's a really good question. Uh, kind of early on in Beefheart's career, he was being touted as the next Beatles, as the next Stones. And, you know, when you think, what? How? Who? Who would have even said that? But the fact of the matter is, he always had record labels like Mercury, um, like Virgin even. Richard Branson apparently was a huge fan. I, I think I think he's a Marmite act. Some people love him and overlove him probably um, in, to defend him. And other people just don't get it. Apparently, his uh, obviously after he hung up his musical boots, he concentrated on his visual art career. And he had a far more successful career as a visual artist than he ever did as a musician. And actually was quite credible and quite successful and made far more money in the 20 years after he stopped being a musician and concentrated on visual art. That's what he should be remembered for rather than his music. Perhaps, but but he is much loved by many people. He has quite an yeah. obsessive following as far as I can tell. I like the fact that I think I read Kate Bush had this album in her top 10 of all time. I saw that. That's a bit weird, isn't it? I think, I mean, I get the impression that I like this album more than any of the rest of you do. I don't know. I don't dislike it. I don't dislike it either. I, I... There isn't a song I'd skip on it if I'd put the album on because it's like, oh my God, this one's particularly terrible. You know, they've all got something about them to recommend them. Yeah, but it doesn't really, I'd get to the end of it and other than, as I say, those first three songs, it hasn't really made an impression. Yeah, okay. I don't okay. dislike it. I wouldn't turn it off. I'm, I'm not. But I listen to it and I get to the end and I'm kind of left thinking, oh, it's finished. Didn't really notice the last three quarters yeah, of that Yeah, but I'm album. not I'm not saying here that this is like one of the world's great albums, but having seen the reputation that it has as, as being particularly awful, I, um, I just think it's a bit unfair, really. It's, 
it's not that bad. And I've heard a lot of worse albums than this that have a better reputation than this one has. And and one thing I do understand, it's not... Do you know, if it said on the cover, if it said Captain Beefheart, Blue Jeans and Moonbeams, I think it would be all right, but it says Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. And this is the thing, it's not a Magic Band album, is it? If I was a Captain Beefheart no. fan of Trout Mask Replica era and he released this, I'd be like... You know what? Well, it's not the same musicians. It's not the same music. I mean, this this is just ludicrous. It's an album with and, Captain Beefheart yeah, on it. Yeah, and that's it, what enraged the. Yeah, yeah. So I get that, but it's not that bad. But is it? Is it a? How much of a problem is it calling it and the Magic Band when it's not the Magic Band? I mean, if you look at a band like. I don't know the full, which obviously its lineup changes from album to album, other than. Well, hang um, on, I'm not. I'm not saying it's a problem for me, Chris. I'm saying it's a problem for people who are fans of the Magic Band. Yeah. And they, I, no, I can see let, why let they would feel a bit one. cheated. No, I can answer that real, real quickly for you about Magic Band, no Magic Band. It's quite clear that in the last three or four albums that he did, you know, post this album, when um, key elements of the Magic Band came back, that it was Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. It wasn't that the Magic Band are just a collection of musicians and a, a throwaway comment. The whole thing is Don Van Vliet and the, the the musicians that kind of grew with him from, I don't know, nineteen sixty four or whatever. And so, when you take the Magic Band away, you have taken a big part of it, and and it's irreplaceable. And it's clear from this album to me that they they were irreplaceable. I think I think the album's all right, and and as I said, I think that. If it just hadn't said Magic Band on it, I think people might have been a bit more accepting of it. Agreed. Because it's all right. Um, and I think that, you know, the idea that people should take it back to the shop and ask for the money back, it's just like, it's just ridiculous. There are so many worse albums and it does have its moments on but it. That, no, can I just interject here? That was Captain Yes, I know it was. And I just plea. think it's ridiculous to, to so even when, for him to be saying this. It's just not that bad. But surely when the person who makes the music concedes that it's so awful that he wants everyone to take it back and get a refund. How can anyone else have any respect for it? I have a sense that he was reacting badly to a bad situation. I think he was under pressure from record company to produce something. He was coming to the end of his deal. He tried to do something more mainstream in, in an effort to make a bit of money, perhaps for the record company to keep him on. Don't know. And I think it, that didn't work out and he just took the huff. Yeah. But also, it, I mean, it doesn't work. The album, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm supporting it here and saying it's all right. But it does feel kind of half-baked and unfinished. I don't think there's, apart from maybe the first song, there's nothing on it that really feels like it's been given the love and attention that it needs. It all feels a bit unfinished and rambling. I think the best bit on the album is in Further Than We've Gone, when it sort of changes key and it has this long instrumental break. And like the first... I know half minute to minute of that instrumental break is really quite fantastic, I think. And it really feels like it's going somewhere a bit special. And then it just becomes a bit of a noodly guitar solo and kind of peters out before going back to the chorus. That kind of like sums up the album a little bit for me that there are some good ideas in there, but they don't take any of them anywhere. And why why are we fighting about this? Chris, you look angry with me. No, I was, I was just looking at a strange notch on the stool. Right. My computer's resting on. <laughs> thinking, how did that go there? Do, do we have favourite songs? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Ah, yeah. I think, Chris. Well, actually, I'm going to go for Observatory Crest, just because. It was the first one that hit home on the first listen to. 
and I just I just like it's it's kind of slightly lost weekend feel and and uh, Nick's right it's got that cinematic epic vista kind of thing I can I can picture myself there on observatory crest with him and her whoever she was who drove him up there and do you have a least favorite the rest of the album <laughs> Kaboom! <laughs> Lovely. <And> Torpedoed. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Moving on quickly. Nick, favourite tune? My favourite tune. I like Sable Blues, but it's not as. I don't, I don't like it as much as I like the JJ Kale version. So, I'm actually, I'm going to go for Blue Jeans and Moonbeams for a bit of Neil Diamond. Oh. And the track that least turned you on, baby? Uh, the least favourite, I think, Rock and Roll's Evil Doll. Just, I didn't get that. <laughs> it's yeah. trying too hard, I think, isn't it? Well, I, I would actually probably pick Rock and Roll's Evil Doll as my favourite. I really like the sort of average white band, Stevie Wonder kind of groove it's got going on. Nothing particularly stands out on the album, and that's just one that I, I really like the groove. So I'd probably say that's my favourite. I think Pompadour Swamp's probably my least favourite. It's a bit boring. But, you know, I'm not, I'm not particularly moved to either like or dislike anything. I basically think it's all okay. Nothing more, nothing You're the biggest champion of this album. Exactly. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> okay. My, um, my particular favourite was, I guess, the first track, Party of Special Things to Do. It's the only track on there that has the two guitar uh, magic band kind of interactions. Mm. That, that yeah. you you kind of if you're a if you're a Beefheart fan that's what you're listening for um, and that's what that's the bit of Beefheart that's been so ripped off not ripped off taken or influenced other people but it it's it is still weak it's not as good but it's a, it's a decent song the one that I don't like is the risible Captain Holidays I think that's the thing that somebody should have said we're not doing that one and 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 that's what kind of poisons the album for me that track i i could i could deal with the let's just call it a captain beefheart album i could deal with all that apart from that song because it's it's so bad about going back to what i was saying earlier about how like he you know he even though he does play harmonica um the captain it's not actually him playing harmonica on it and am i remembering rightly that it may not even be the same band that it was just some tapes that were found in the studio at the time of the session, and and it could actually be someone else playing on it entirely. That might explain it. Yeah, I mean that would be quite an interesting thing to have on your album, <laughs> just some random track that I happened to find lying around. It, it's a it's a kind of interesting fact about um, Captain Beefheart that you know he was he was he was aware of his inadequacies in terms of being able to speak to musicians in musical terms and it was a great frustration of his and all the stories you hear about him being horrible um to his musicians i think were down to his quite underdeveloped nature in terms of he was an eternal child and that inability to communicate i think that's made him frustrated and he took that out on other people because as i said he he hadn't become an adult he was still very much a child it sounds like an awful thing to be in the magic band (laughs) i can't quite pinpoint his genius i suppose is what i'm saying usually in that kind of situation you've got that that kind of creative whirlwind at the heart of it surrounded by amazing musicians and they come together and put out something beautiful whereas in this case it seems like you've got some kind of musical proficiency around someone who's just a bit of a mess, bit of a shambolic, not quite knowing where he's going. 
I can't see where the kind of creative genius drive is with Captain Beefheart and the Magic Band. I was disappointedly underwhelmed. That's really harsh, isn't it? Always an interesting plan to choose the, the worst, the, 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 the notoriously worst ever album that the band's ever made as your starting point to a band, though, isn't it? So. <laughs> Final word from um, Nick. I think Captain Beefheart's a bit of a sad sack, and I feel sorry for him. Love the album though. <laughs> um, it was all right. Great, great stage name. Yeah, beef heart. Al, final word. Yeah, it's all right. Um, it's not. I'm not going to be looking into the back catalogue and the strength of this, and I'm not going to be probably ever listening to the album again. But I don't think it deserves its reputation for being a, an absolute disaster, and that it does have with some critics. It's just not that bad, but it's also just not that good. It's a pity, um, but then surely that's a, that's that's the ideal circumstances to look into his back catalogue. If if what's held out to be his worst album, you think is actually not that you bad. You forget that I have actually heard some other stuff by him. <laughs> well, yeah, unfortunately, uh, what well, from my understanding is his greatest ever album is that bad. <laughs> yeah, I found it quite difficult. I'm going to take the final word here, uh, as is my my right. I didn't like this album too much but i'm not a big fan of trap mask replica either not a good album um some bad choices made i i kind of like the fact that i rediscovered kind of the last three albums that he ever did and now i know the background of that um i find it really interesting and the last single that he ever put out ice cream for crow is truly one of the greatest singles ever put out and, and you know that's my firm belief um so Everyone, go and listen to that. And also, there's a um, thing on YouTube of Captain Beefheart on Letterman. That's, that's well worth a watch. Before we go on to our, our next episode's album, which is going to be chosen by Nick, uh, what are our picks for our favourite albums and number one singles from 1974? Let's start with Will. You've been last every time. What's your album of the year, 1974? So you ask me, ask me as I kind of put a lump of plain chocolate bounty in my gob. Product placement. <laughs> <laughs> album of the year, difficult one. Choice between two. We have Rufusized um, by Rufus featuring Jackie Ken, which is just sublime one of the standout tracks is stop on by which i'm sure you've all heard which is just as i say sublime but the other album that is up there is um one that i doubt you've ever heard millie jackson caught up it's a double album which is very unusual for an r&b um artist and it's a um concept album which is even rarer for an r&b artist and it's a concept album about a woman who gets um, involved in an extramarital affair with someone else, the highs and the lows and the breakups and so on and so forth. And the, some of the vocal performances on Caught Up by, by Millie Jackson are, they're, they're almost difficult to take. They're, they're, there's so much in there, so much humanity in there that it, it's, it's almost hard listening, but beautiful, beautiful songs. Um, so Millie Jackson, Caught Up or Rufusized. I think I just about go for Rufusized, but if yeah, anyone out there, um, if you can find that album, Millie Jackson, Caught Up, it's well worth a listen. I thought you were going to say, and I actually wish you had, I thought you were going to say she'd got caught up with the mob rather than an affair with a <laughs> married man. I think, I think had she done so, that would no. probably have been your album of the year. Now tell us your single as well. What's your single? 
George McRae, Rocky Baby. Kind of, I was what thirteen when this came out in a extremely hot and lovely kind of school holiday summer. Just just when I was sort of getting to think about girls, all that kind of thing. Um, and Rock Your Baby is the um, story that summer. A- every time I've ever heard that song, uh, it just takes me back to um, a very good place. So yeah, and it's a great I, song. I think it's it's magic. Yeah. Um, it is a great I read song. today that it's uh, absolutely it's one of song. fewer than forty singles that have sold more than ten million physical copies in the history of recorded music. Wow, which I find quite interesting. Good choice, anyway. Good choice. Uh, what about Nick? I, I'm I'm very curious about what your album of the year is going to be, Nick. So why don't you tell us? Well, do you know it's funny because there was a lot of great albums that year. I thought this is going to be quite a hard choice because there was things like. Grievous Angel, Graham Parsons. There was Radio City, Big Star. Oh, I thought that might be your pick. Oh, I was wrong. Well, I, 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 you know, I had a funny feeling <laughs> you would think that that was what I was going to choose. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you may think that. <laughs> there was OK, JJ Kale was another one that I've always liked. But then there was also some great funk albums, Parliament album, Up for the Downstroke. There was Funkadelic. There was uh, Average White Band had an album out. There was, that, there was a great Al, Al Green album. This is also the year that Autobahn Craftworks album came out as well. Mm. Yeah. So just all sorts of amazing things. Fulfilling this first finale Stevie Wonder album as well. But actually my favourite album, and this is this was my entry point for this artist, was The Heart of Saturday Night by Tom Waits, which is an album uh, I have uh, yeah, that's a great album. always, yeah. always, always loved. One of my favourite Tom Waits albums I'm a huge Tom Waits fan Bizarrely, I have two albums from 1974 I hadn't realised this Framed up on on a wall up in the spare bedroom upstairs In those, you know, those vinyl frames that you get Because the other album that I've got framed is Kimono My House by Sparks Which came out in 74 And I've got that in a frame upstairs And that is another favourite of mine But Heart of Saturday Night is just a phenomenal album. And my favourite number one of 1974 was Tiger Feet by Mud. <laughs> Can't go wrong with Tiger Feet. You're stolen my fire on both counts then. Well, that's neat. I'm, I'm going to leap in here because Mud, Mud, Tiger Feet was also my number one single um, for the year. Uh, it's, it's a cracking tune. Yes, it is. There, yeah. there was something... It's got that. It's got that bit of sort of rock and roll revival to it. I was looking at the ch- mob were number one for four weeks, and then Susie Quattro, Devil Gate Drive, another in, great song, yeah. which is a very kind of, which is a great song. But again, it's a very kind of rock and roll kind of revival. Oops, rock and roll revival tune. And then Shawadi Wadi were also in the charts, and it's that whole kind of seventy four seems to be a time where we were reliving the early sixties again. I didn't know that. Susie Quattro song I went and listened to it listened to the start of that song again that's Adam and the Ants <laughs> it's really really yeah, it yeah. is that music it's mm. a great song um, Double Gate Drive but the other reason I've gone with Mud is because they used to live opposite us no way <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid so this is kind of one, this is one of those sort of um this is one of those family legends that I don't obviously 74 again I was three so I don't really have any great recollections of it but I remember the stories I'm the youngest of three four three two brothers and a sister youngest of four um <laughs> so, so we just lived in a in a wee kind of um house in southwest London and mud grew up mud, mud are all from Carshorton which is three miles down the road from where I grew up and two of them then moved into these new houses that were built opposite our house which were just wee little sort of 70s terraced houses. One of my brothers remembers looking out the window and seeing these two guys riding up and down the street on mini scrambler bikes and thinking, oh, what's going on there? 
and then realising it was mud <laughs> and then getting very excited and then telling me about older sister and then her and her mate then kind of hung around outside the house hoping they'd come out, which they never did. But eventually they managed to get a signed picture of mud with their um, autographs scrawled across the front. But I've never really figured out why. Because this was a being kind of post-Tiger Feet. This is sort of 74, 75. At, at, at their pomp, they were living in a wee kind of 1970s terrace house just off Langley Avenue in Worcester Park. Uh, probably for tax reasons. But it is also a cracking song. <laughs> That's Possibly a great story. So. Possibly so. Actually, the other thing I know about Tiger Feet is it's the first single that Steve Lamack ever bought. So, Chris, what's your album of the year? Nick's already mentioned this. Um, I've gone for Kimono My House by Sparks. Mm-hmm. Um, Very good choice. For, I, I, I kind of, yes, great albums this year, but I don't, I, I'd kind of had a really good look through the 1974 albums, and I don't have any of them in any of my album collection. But I went. For, I was surprised that this album came out this early. Mm. Obviously, This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us is the first Sparks tune I was ever aware of. And I always assumed it was the other end of the 70s. It was like 78, 79 kind of thing. But I was surprised it was there. Not number Tops at number 30 in 74. But I think Sparks are one of those bands that, I mean, they're, they're still putting stuff out and it still sounds fresh. And this song sounds nothing like what was going on in 74. I agree. It's kind of timeless, um, isn't it? And still yeah. sounds amazing today. Yeah. And it is timeless. And everything that Sparks do, I think, is, is immensely creative and, 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 and utterly timeless. I was I was just absolutely blown away that this song was whatever it is forty five years yeah. old, and still sounds as fresh as it did today. But I mean, this is a year when you've got uh, Viva España as the twentieth best selling. The Wombles had two top twenty bestsellers. Annie's song by John Denver, She by Charles Asmavor, and then you've got this talent big enough for the both of us by Sparks. And this album was cracking, and yeah chose it because of its longevity i think and it's a good album yeah it's it's one that i considered i can't see really any other band that was big in 74 that are still putting out interesting music now other than sparks quite a few albums that i considered been mentioned already i also i i also consider and i listened to um old new board and blue by slade and it's a pretty good album actually uh, there's some really excellent tracks on that it was a decent album but i'm gonna go with um queen sheer heart attack which is the second album that Queen released good that choice. year, and it's um, it's a good rocker. It's a kind of they're in a kind of um, transitional phase at this point. Um, like the first two albums are kind of like prog rock, and the two albums that followed Sheer Heart Attack uh, were Day at the Races uh, and before that Night at the Opera, which is where Bohemian Rhapsody comes from, and that's when they were in a real sort of operatic experimental studio phase. Sheer Heart Attack sort of falls in between the two, and it's still quite rocking, but there's quite a lot of, you know, they're starting to experiment with the big layered vocals and so on. And it's just a good album. Every song on it's good. Um, yeah, I really like it. I really, um, there's the last song on it, In the Lap of the Gods, revisited, because there's also a song called In the Lap of the Gods on it. Um, it's a kind of proto We Are the Champions, and it's just a brilliant sing-along song. It's really, it's a good album. Killer Queen is a fantastic track. Yes, Killer Queen's on it. That's really their first classic single, isn't it, Killer Queen? Yeah, very good Big track. single, yeah. I... They were a really good band for, you know, they hit, they hit a real run from that point on. My favourite album is like mm-hmm. Three On, when, the, when punk started happening, and News of the World when he'd left all the sort of operatic stuff behind it, I think that's probably the best album. That's um, just, just to jump in on that, that kind of, so that would have been about the seventh album being their best album. That thing that you've got now, where if a band doesn't put out a brilliant first album, it just disappears. 
and you're very lucky to get you know, the bands now don't really seem to have time to grow. Oh, you're right. Yeah, in the same way as. Well, I, I hold up yeah. REM as a, as a prime example of this. They just got better and better and better. Lightrich Pageant, which for me is where they really hit the stride, is something like the fifth album. And then they, they hit like half a dozen albums that are just genius. I'm not sure that any band, in my opinion, has had a run of half a dozen albums as good as they did like from Lightrich Pageant up to Monster. Mm. Um, every yeah. one of them. Their middle story was extraordinary. And uh, yeah, you know, they are the prime example of why you give a band some time because they weren't that great to start with but they were they time were all right time to grow yeah yeah and it just got better and better there really were some great number one singles and almost all of them been mentioned kung fu fighting mm. i i i love um devil gate drive tiger feet waterloo mm-hmm. waterloo is spectacular seasons in the sun no one's mentioned again it's a great song yeah, um, that, i was i was swithering over two one of which was rock your baby and since that's been mentioned already because uh, Rock Your Baby's magic. Um, I'm going to go for Sugar Baby Love by the Rubettes um, for two reasons. One is because it's such an odd song. It's just like this cascading array of choruses, but it doesn't really have a chorus. It's very, it's a strange song, but I, mainly because um, it inspired the Auteurs song, uh, which is also a single, uh, The Rubettes, where the chorus um, is basically taken out of Sugar Baby Love, and it's a great song, and I love it very much. And without Sugar Baby Love, we wouldn't have had the Rubettes by the auteurs. And that is why Sugar Baby Love is my single of the year. Not a good reason, but it's my reason. So anyway, before we wrap up um, 1974, um, Nick, you're uh, you're choosing our next album that we're going to be talking about. And yes. the random number generator came up with 1984 this time around. So what are you picking for us? So... This has been quite a challenge. There's a lot of interesting albums, and so I've been thinking quite hard, and I've, there was all sorts of things there to think about. A bit, bit of Simple Minds, Sparkle in the Rain, maybe. I was thinking about Madness. I was thinking about Talk Talk. There's a Joe Jackson mm. album I thought I need to introduce to these guys called Body and Soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I thought, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I picked an album by Minutemen, Double Nickels on the Dime, and then I thought, that's got 43 songs in it. I should probably not. <laughs> Whoa. I should not I should not put them through that. That's a challenge. They are quite short, but still an hour and a quarter long. Yeah. So I thought, Oof. yeah, that's a, that's going too far. I thought about um I thought about Billy Bragg, I thought about Madonna. And then I, I sort of narrowed it down to two. And I thought, should I go America or should I go the UK? And up until last night, I was going, do you know what, we've done a couple of American albums, we should go UK, and I'm going to go Echo and the Bunny Men. And then I thought, actually, no, we're going we're going stateside again, and we're going for Prince. Oh, nice. What year are we on? 1984. 84. Is it Purple Rain? It's Purple Rain. Purple Rain. Happy days. Well, I've always I've always said about Prince that I don't get Prince. Um, I do like... Uh, when does cry i think is a magnificent song um but i think that purple rain's pretty dreary and dull i think we should also watch try and watch the film oh yes we should watch the think, film i think definitely it, it is a soundtrack album after all so yeah mm-hmm. well it, it's it's, it's an interesting choice it's something that i think we'll all be at least partially familiar with which yeah um the last two albums we haven't been so that's quite uh, it's a good choice in that respect but not entirely and, and can... like um yeah Good change of pace. Yeah, like um, for me anyway. Like uh, like when I chose the Springsteen album, um, it, it's an artist that um, 
I have respect for without really knowing very much of the stuff and without really getting and and I don't really understand why people love Prince as much as they do because I just hear someone who's alright and maybe maybe this will help to change our mind this was an album that actually was very very high in the Rolling Stone 500 wasn't it it was in the top 10 I think actually I'm not sure about that but I funnily enough I kind of feel a bit the same way about it in that somebody that I don't understand the deep love for but yeah I kind of I like stuff and I think it deserves a little bit of scrutiny I'm coming with some pre-love to this album watch watch the film I don't know if it's uh, I'm looking forward to it because I've I've never listened to a Prince album in its entirety Um, I've always seen him as this kind of singles guy good singles guy but nothing that's ever really interested me but I'm kind of looking forward to getting into it next time 1984 1984